Hey, Teresa. Hey, Sam. What's up? Nothing much. Today is, today's been pretty good. It's like really nice outside and I asked for an extension on my paper. So I'm not going to start it until the day before the date that I asked for. Um, but I feel like definitely this week has been pretty rough um, mm. considering, you know, the anti-Asian attacks, well, continuous attacks. Um, but, you know, obviously um, the mass murder that happened and, you know, like as an Asian American, um, it's just been really hard. And I, I feel like, yeah, a lot of people are grieving and um, I just hope that we can try to heal and also be given the proper space to grieve, um, especially in already like a really tough time. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I think it's been especially hard just seeing how these attacks have been covered and just really, I think a lot of people have just failed in how they've really gone about addressing these attacks, addressing what they mean to people. And I mean, I feel like I'm lucky to be surrounded by people that do care and do like call these things out. But I think it's important to like look out for the ways that people are misreporting or mishandling things, um, but always keep in mind that the, the people that matter are the victims of the attacks and to always keep them like close to your heart no matter what. Yeah, thank you for that. And um, no, I totally agree. And I think that just because you're like stating the facts doesn't mean that you're telling the truth. And I think that what's been covered this week really has shown that. Um, but today we are really excited to actually be interviewing um, someone who's our age, who's doing amazing work. Um, today on this episode, we will be interviewing photographer Sydney Holmes over a cup of watermelon juice. Great, let's get into it. So I chose watermelon juice for today's podcast because I was actually watching a YouTube video where somebody was drinking watermelon juice and I had this like flashback um, to, I think it was the summer after we graduated high school. It was the first time I'd ever had watermelon juice like as a thing. Um, and I think it's one of the most underrated juices by far. It's really delicious. Also tastes enough like water where it's not overwhelming. But I would say like, you need to have one of the more natural watermelon juices. Cause I think the worst thing is the one I have today, it's like brilliant. It tastes normal. It tastes like watermelon juice straight up. There's two other types of juices that you can get. There's the one that's like concentrate. That's like the sweetest, like nastiest thing ever that tastes like Jolly Rancher juice. And then there's the watermelon juice that's been sitting for a week. And that just to me tastes like disgusting. But Teresa, what do you think of watermelon juice? Yeah, I feel like um, I just like the only watermelon juice I like is the freshly squeezed one because actually watermelon juice is like super popular in China. Like when you go to like dinner, 
it's like if you know you were a kid like me um you know you can have your water you have your coconut milk and then you have your watermelon juice and I remember when even when I was young like we'd always have like pitchers of watermelon juice and like the adults would be drinking it and I'd be like that's lit um so normalize having watermelon juice at dinner you know also my dad shout out Tao loves watermelons like I remember like every time I go to the grocery store he does that thing where he's like do you want a watermelon and I'm like no and he's like are you sure you don't want a watermelon and I'm like no but you can have it he's like nah like you want it so yeah Tao always denies that he wants watermelon but he's the only one eating it in the house um, but yeah thanks for choosing this drink Sam first time we've agreed on something in a really long time We're yeah actually- I feel like as we've continued this show we've gotten into weirder and weirder drinks um, or just drinks where like one of us has a very strong opinion and the other one's like whatever, but it's nice to find a drink where we can finally both be like, this is solid and wonderful. I know, I feel like we've ended like a fight. <laughs> <laughs> finally. <laughs> but um, getting into today's episode, as Teresa said, we are going to be interviewing the photographer, Sydney Holmes. Um, if you have not checked her art out yet, her at on Instagram is, um, at Sid.hol, um, and that's Sid spelled S-Y-D. She makes incredible, um, art, lots of different styles of photography that she encompasses. She's currently a student at Yale University, um, where she is majoring in art and photography and, it's been really awesome to kind of see her artistic journey, see where her photos are taking her and continue to see how she is pushing her art and embracing new paths in the photography world. Yeah, and I think that me and Sam have mentioned this before probably, but in high school, we both did photography um, and still dabble in in college. And it's just really nice to be like reimmersed in photography and be able to talk to someone who has like continued doing it and doing it so well. Um, and just to give you guys a little background on Sydney Holmes, um, she is a photographer that basically um, is going to graduate this year from Yale. Um, she has done photography not only for Yale but also for the International African American Museum as well as um, she's photographed celebrities such as Playboy Cardi which is a flex Um, and her also she does like portraits um, and just a lot of really cool art that really shows kind of um, her unique eye of looking at the world and the people around her. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to talk to her about not only her art, but also how she committed to photography, um, as a major and as a career. Great. Should we call her up right now? Yeah, let's call her up. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, we've been really loving your photography. I don't know how much you know about the podcast, but we just try to interview a lot of artists that we really admire um and we just wanted to ask you a lot about your work and also what it's like to like study photography in kind of a more like academic sense yeah so I guess like our 
first question would be like, can you just tell us a bit about like how you first, I guess, found your love for photography and like when that whole journey began? Absolutely. Yeah. So my father was, is, was a professional photographer. Um, but so like I grew up with literally a camera in my face, like all the time. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Um, but I mean, I, I have such a deep appreciation for it now, of course, but my introduction to photography was just like being at the dinner table or like being at a birthday party or like on a family vacation and just like having to do the whole like cheese thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really didn't appreciate it until now. Um, but when I did finally sort of come to see it as like a tool that I could use, um, I was like 11. And I'm not even sure how my parents thought, like knew that I wanted a camera for my birthday, but I got a little point and shoot camera for my birthday. Um, and it was just like the most perfect thing. I, I mean, I was attached at the, at the hand <laughs> to that thing um, for, I mean, pretty much, I guess since then, um, it's 11 years ago, which is wild. But um, at first I used it because I was a very anxious child. Like, I mean, I'm an anxious person in general but I was at extremely anxious, like clinical levels of anxiety as a child. Um, and you know, that was sort of mediated by family circumstances, but I, because I was an anxious child, I was not present, you know? So like, I'm having all of these wonderful life experiences like as a young person, you know, coming into consciousness, if, uh, if you will. And I'm like, I don't, I felt like I didn't remember things. Like my sister, my family, like my, my mom, my, my dad have like, they can like think of a moment and just like immediately transport themselves back to that day, like what they smelled, what they were wearing, who was there, like, and I couldn't do that. I don't have like chronological sense of like memory at all. Um, and that scared me. Cause I was like, oh my God, like who am I if I don't remember, you know? Um, really dire thoughts as like a young person, but I was taking pictures and I was like, well, this is a way that I can literally, I mean, literally capture moments in time so that I, I don't have to worry about forgetting because, you know, anything that I find beautiful or worth remembering, I will always have it um, in this sort of image form. Um, and that was just like, it, it became like obsessive. Like it was this obsessive, like fear of forgetting and also like desire to like capture beautiful things like they just drove me to always take my camera everywhere I went. Like it didn't matter like where I was, what I was taking pictures of, whether it was like people, places, landscapes, water, little flowers on the side of the road. Um, so that was like my first probably four or five years um, with photography was sort of that compulsive um, like need and drive to do it. Like it gave me a sense of control as an anxious person. I was like, well, this is a place where I feel I feel in control like behind the camera. Um, and I still feel that way um, to this day for sure. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and you talked about how photography kind of came to you at a very early age. And I know that you grew up in Atlanta, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did Atlanta shape your um, photographic style or just your art in general? That's an interesting question because I think I, I often feel like it doesn't. Um, and I think this is because, so in addition to being an anxious child, I was an athlete from like a young age. So I was running track, track was my thing up until probably two years ago is when I like retired. But, um, I spent all my time running. Like if I was not in school, I was, 
uh, on a track somewhere from the age of three to 20 years old. So I didn't really get a sense of like the city of Atlanta, um, like as a, until really a few years ago, um, being an adult, realizing what the city can offer, especially artistically, like there's a huge, like really rich creative scene there. Um, any possible like creative outlet you might want or might want to find, like there's a community of people who are doing that in Atlanta um, and have a space for you. And I love that. But yeah, I was, I didn't really appreciate the city um, until recently, but I mean, that's not to say that I'm sure like sort of unconsciously, maybe the cityscape and sort of how I am with people, like my approach to photography is probably, you know, influenced by growing up in the South um, in terms of like etiquette and like manners. I don't know, like I'm not, um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm always hesitant. And maybe this is more so knowing the history of photography now of like objectifying people with the camera. So maybe that's my Southern etiquette. Maybe that's partially just my academic learnings, but yeah. I don't, I don't know that I can say consciously that Atlanta has had a great effect on like my style, um, at least starting out. Like now, I mean, I'm always taking pictures of, of black people doing creative things. I mean, and that's like what Atlanta is about really. So I can say it's definitely crept into my subject matter for sure. Yeah, thank you for that honest answer and not just being like, it influenced me a lot. Um, also, I used to live in um, Decatur in Atlanta. Oh, um yeah so but it was when I was young so the only artist I remember is like Georgia O'Keeffe like they would always like plug her when you're like in the third grade (laughs) but kind of relating to what you were saying about like pushing boundaries in photography um and yeah so like do you feel like just in terms of being like learning photography in academic state do you feel like you're constantly having to push back against like more academic conceptions of photography that's an interesting question because I feel like since studying it, um, like my first photo class was like 2018. So I, I came into college, like refusing to major in art, refusing to like study photography. I was like, I was a STEM, I was a STEM baddie um, for one semester. And then I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> um, I had a lot of sort of things that pushed me like for, like further from STEM and further into humanities, which eventually landed me into the arts. Like, um, but my first photography class was black Atlantic photography. Um, and it was, I mean, it was my first time studying photography at all in an academic context. And it was really focused on sort of placing photography within like a broader history of like black liberation movements, like sort of pushing back. Yes. On like a lot of the violent representations of blackness, um, that like early photography established and reified, um, And so like that being my first entry point was I think really important to, I think my current relationship to like photography and academia um, and like critical theory. Um, So like, I would say that like prior to studying it like in an academic setting, I was wary. Like I said, I was very wary because I didn't, I didn't feel like it needed that. I was like, why do we need to be up in this, you know, ivory tower, like sort of speaking about images from this high place. But I think the way that it gave me one, I mean, yeah, like a really necessary historical context um, of like black image makers um, and like the histories of how black people have been represented in photography. It also just gave me a way to like interpret images and also figure out like my own voice. Like 
I think before, you know, I mentioned I was, it was very compulsive um, for me to take pictures. It was instinctive. It was just about like what I felt I needed to do in that moment. It was very like unconscious thing that I didn't have language for, like as far as my focus. Um, but once I got into academia, I was like, okay, like you can sort of read a photo, you know, like you read a book. Um, it sort of functions a little differently, but like there's certain things that you can pull out from a photo that sort of show you like, I mean, they can speak to truths about the world, sure, but like they really speak to truths about who took the photo, um, which is something I didn't consider um, before sort of learning it in an academic setting. Like authorship and positionality when it comes to, to taking photos is something that's like always on my mind. And that's really only because of um, what I've learned um, since being in school. So it's, it's had the opposite effect of like really helping me to appreciate what I can do and like where I'm located, like in a broader history of photographers and just the history of photography. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. So while you were taking these really cool photo classes, I know you said you started off at STEM. So when did you decide that this was not only something that you were interested in, but something that you wanted to really pursue? It was really like, I, it was, I had no choice. Like when I, when I say, I had no choice. So I said, I started out like thinking I was gonna be a doctor, think, thinking I was gonna study microbiology, like um, anyways. And then I was like, okay, well, chem is hard. Um, STEM in college at Yale is different. Um, it's not enough to just be like, oh, I love to learn how the body works. So anyway, I was like, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'm more interested in psychology. Like I've always been interested in people and sort of how things function like in a basic sense um, and like certain like relationships and like systems, I guess. But I didn't really see a place for those interests in art um, until I just kept like not doing well in other classes. Like when I tell you, I was just not doing well um, like academically here until I decided to just give myself over to this like you know this medium in this field that I mean it's always been my therapy like art has literally always been my therapy um and it's been the one place where I I know that I can sort of see myself clearly if that makes sense like in a sort of world you know of a lot of noise and I said I was a very anxious person still am like where I'm, I'm when I'm outside in the world without a camera in my hand I, I tend to feel out of control um and the way that sort of photography has brought me back to myself, like year after year after year and giving me, you know, a means of self-expression in a basic sense, like figuring out what I'm interested in and who I want to be. Like I, I sort of create myself in front of the camera. Um, but like the move to do that, uh, to sort of commit to that in terms of a major, yeah, it was necessitated by the fact that nothing else was really working nothing else, like no other sort of classes were playing to my strengths. Like I have bad writing anxiety because I'm such a scatterbrained person that like putting words on a page like in a cohesive way is really just psychological terror <laughs> um, involved in that for me. Um, but I can speak in images because images don't have to, you know, they don't have to sort of follow a chronology or they don't have to, you know, follow these really sort of strict structures of writing. Um, and so, yeah, I was just like, I was like, I gotta do it. If I don't, if I didn't change my art, my major to art, like it happened half at the end of my sophomore year, I think, beginning of my junior year, basically. Um, I probably would have dropped out <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, 
because yeah, academic success did not feel feasible to me um, until I changed my major to majoring in art. I love hearing like these stories of like how people like found their or committed to their passions because it's oh it always stems from like a place of like there is nothing else for me to do but try this thing um like yeah so I love hearing about that because same um but like what you're saying about um yeah using sort of photography um like sort of as lens like what type of stories do you feel um are important to tell with your photography and like the specific way that you see the world and see this medium? So for me, what I always come back to in terms of like subject matter and, and the stories I want to tell, it's always about like being a black person in America. Like, even if I sort of try to resist that, like, cause you know, it feels essentializing maybe like to always be making work about identity because you know there's no one way to be any kind of person you know at any kind of intersection of identity so it was sort of hard for me to just accept that what i was making work about was myself <laughs> um and i simply am a black woman um and so i really enjoy the idea of like just not even telling stories of like black womanhood but just like finding new like visual languages to like represent it um so that people who aren't black women sort of get a sense of our experiences like at that very specific intersection um because like just knowing about i mean if you just you know pick up a magazine social media like tv movies any sort of media that you look at you can find really unsavory and limiting representations of, of what it is to be black women whether that's in terms of like body objectification um, or just like, yeah, I mean, just severe limitations on, you know, like in, like emotional range. Like you sort of see the same tropes of black womanhood, angry black women, um, hypersexualized black women, whatever the case is. And it was always at the ex- these extremes um, is like the way that I've seen it. Like either we're like sort of really visible in a space um, and sort of hyper-critiqued or hyper-criticized, you know, from a very young age, like black girls are just really, like, you know, there's a lot of things imposed upon upon young black girls um, as far as who you can and can't be and how you can and can't present. Um, and so I'm always just like, how do you, I mean, how do you just represent a black woman as she is or how, as she wants to be more, more importantly, um, is like, that's my driving force. Like whenever I'm taking pictures, whether it's, you know, paid work that I'm doing or whether, um, it's my personal work. That's what really gets me like going, um, is like how to show like the range, um, and complexity of black womanhood. Cause it's complex. Like it's very, and I hate seeing it sort of flattened out in the way that you often see it. Um, like in media specifically. And I think I saw some of those ideas at play in some of the images that you have posted. Um, and like, especially you kind of introduced this idea of like obscuring the face and then an anti-portrait, could you talk about what those mean and how you feel like those can be just as good a representation as like maybe a traditional portrait? Yeah, like I think with anti-portraiture and like sort of resistance to being seen as, like that's sort of the core thing, like that I'm, I think I'm, I'm trying to work through um, in pictures because I think our engagement with images currently is like, 
you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's just image, 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 image. Like, you know, we're bombarded with imagery. And I feel like a lot of times people don't realize how that could be sort of changing how we look at people in images and how we interact with images. Um, and so I'm just thinking about like the fact that, you know, you sort of, you're scrolling on your phone, you look at a picture and you're like, okay, I, I know what's going on there. Like, I know who that is. I know what's happening. I think there's, I, I'm, I'm trying to sort of subvert that process of like ease of like knowing, like feeling like you can look at something or someone and just know who they are. Um, Cause very often, you know, it's just projections. Um, at the end of the day, we're all just projecting. But like, I, this idea of only revealing what you want to reveal um, or making yourself illegible and like unable to be read and like unable to be like known is important to me as like a way to sort of like regain power over like who you are. Like, and, and I think sure that works for like, you know, black womanhood, but I think that can be expanded to just like anyone. Like we're always, you know, sort of packaging ourselves depending on where we are, you know, whether that's like your classroom or you're, you're sort of tailoring who you are to your audience or who's in the space or what space you're in. Um, and I'm just like, you know, what if we sort of take a step and like not try to sort of fit into a space, but just, I mean, what if we just don't fit, you know, what if we're not completely able to be read by people? Um, is that okay? Like what happens when you just sort of occupy that space? Um, because I think then it's, it's, it's harder for people to sort of put you, you know, categorize you in one space. You can just sort of move more fluidly, I think, like, through the world. Um, so, yeah, a long answer, but. <laughs> no, that was super um, well said. And I guess, like, um, yeah, throughout your journey as a photographer, um, not even, like, who has been some of your artistic inspirations, but, like, have there been certain moments or photos or like yeah like moments where you've completely like rethought something about photography or the way that you approach your art or like a new concept for sure like I think the first thing that comes to my mind is when I encountered uh, Carrie Mae Weems's work um because I mean she uses her body in her images and so prior to that like you know I said I, I made self-portraits all the time but I was never showing up like it was one of those things that was for me and for me only. Um, and I think I'm still sort of grappling with like the idea of like personal work and public work um, and you know, what you sort of allow people to see in terms of like your artistry and what you produce. But like when I saw her photos, um, I mean, she was the first like highly regarded seminal like black woman photographer who I had ever heard of. Like I didn't even know that there were famous black women photographers at all before hearing her name. Um, but like specifically her series, I think it's called Roaming. She has one called Roaming. It's a set of pictures um, where she's like wearing a black gown and she's, they're self-portraits. And so she sort of sets up her camera in front of these like sites. Like it could be a body of water. It could be like a museum building. Like it could be a monument. Um, and she just sort of sets herself up as like this observer, like in the frame. And I think the concept of like a black woman observer, observer or spectator is really really interesting to me um and like bell hooks has like an essay called the oppositional gaze that like has is really influencing my work currently that i just came across recently um but sort of seeing carrie may Weems' work and the way that she yeah she sets herself up as like this witness to history and like this witness to like power and power imbalances um 
and just like American history was like, I mean, radically, I was just like, wait, I can do that. <laughs> I was like, I can do that. I can like put my body in conversation with sort of larger systems or structures or whatever. Um, so like seeing her work just opened up what I could do with photography. Cause I was very new at this point when I came across her work, I was very new to even showing my work to people. Um, I didn't start doing that until I majored in photography. Like, so the idea of critique and like an audience for your work was first um, introduced to me through Carrie Mae Weems' work. Um, and so it's still like, I still think about it all the time, like those images in that series. So yeah, I think that's, that was my first, my first thought. Yeah, and I'm really glad that you mentioned the oppositional gaze because I'm I'm a cinema cinema minor, and so in one of my classes, we were reading Bell Hooks' text about that and how um, she was combating this idea that like you know black women didn't even have a gaze because they weren't being represented, um, and I feel like it's so fair to love something but also be able to critique it, but think that. You, you still love it. You know what I mean? Like there's still room for critique. Um, and so I think that like one of the things I wanted to ask less like conceptually about photography, but just like technically, I guess, like what are some things that you think about when you're like positioning a subject or um, adjusting um, things on your camera? Because like I used to do photography and I feel like sometimes I would have a vision and then like not be able to execute it because my technicalities were bad so yeah like what are some techniques technical things that you hold to be really important mm, that's a great question I think more recently I'll, I'll start with more recently and work back because recently I'd say like November December January like I sort of had a technical awakening of sorts um where I just realized there were all these things that I didn't know um, and all these technical tools that I wasn't utilizing, like in terms of like artificial lighting, um, but just like, it was really me realizing that I didn't know light in the way that I should as a photographer. Um, I think after like doing it for so long, I was like, oh yeah, okay. So I sort of know enough like technical skills. I know how to, you know, my camera's always in manual, like. I've seen enough YouTube tutorials where I was like, okay, I, I think I know how to say what I want to say. Um, but prior to a few months ago, um, I really didn't have a consistent, like, technical, well, that's not true. I was going to say I, I, don't, I didn't have a consistent technical sort of style or, like, skill set or toolkit that I pulled from. Um, I think prior to a few months ago, I was really always focused on, like, foreground and background, like, so I would always shoot at like wide open apertures. Um, I would very, very rarely go up above like, or you know, below smaller than like F28. Like I was just obsessed with this idea of like what is foregrounded and what is backgrounded just as like, you know, like in, in a way to think about images or what's happening in an image. Um, and I just remember my one sort of thing that I would always keep in mind when I'm like composing a photograph, like from my early, times um, taking pictures was like this idea of something being like in the way so I would just always like I would I used to carry around like a piece of tool fabric in my camera bag um like it would be like either black or white or whatever and I would just always sort of be obsessed it was sort of corny I don't do it anymore but I appreciate the impulse like I was always trying to sort of wave it in front of my lens um or just in some way have an impact the photo 
um, because I wanted people to be aware that they were looking at my perspective. Like, I think I was aware of positionality and you know, like a early on, like, I was like, I'm not showing you some sort of greater truth about the world, like with my images, like I'm showing you what I see and what I focus on. So I, whenever I'm composing an image, my impulse is always to make sure, or like somehow make that composition known. Like the fact that I'm, someone is behind the camera, there's things in front of the camera, there's something in between, like this lens is, you know, even mediating your experience of the image um, and my taking of the image, like, and so I think technically that was my main drive um, and really the only thing I thought about, but also, I mean, light is an obvious answer too. I'm drawn to like dappled lighting um, which I mean, I have in some of the photos I have on Instagram, like my earlier um, portrait works where, I mean, I love this idea of like sun and shadow and just light and shadow, just interplaying on an object, on, on a body, um, seems to speak to the complexity that I sort of want to um, like represent in my photos of people, like general in general. Um, so yeah, I think those are maybe the two things that usually drive me. Um, this idea of foregrounding, backgrounding, centering, um, and then like light, having light sort of also be added to the conversation. Um, but also color, I guess color, I'm, I'm obsessed with color, which is showing, I think now in the work I'm posting more recently. Um, I love color. I love color. Um, I don't even know what else there is to say. I took a color theory class like a year ago. I was just like, oh my God, like, Colors are just always in relationship with one another. Um, and that was a novel concept. Like, so yeah. We talked to a lot of um, artists. We're both in college, so on our campuses. Um, and I know that a lot of people find it hard to kind of break outside of just being an artist on their campus. How have you found a way to move beyond, um, I guess, the confines of your campus to share art to like a larger group of people? Mm. I think social media is, I guess, the most obvious answer or like my first thought about that because, yeah, I mean, I went through a period where, well, actually, I think there's my ultimate answer. So I was taking pictures and I took a gap year um, after my freshman year uh, at, here at Yale um, for like mental health reasons. Like I needed therapy. So I left and I got, I got my therapy. Um, and while I was there, like I was sort of reconnecting with like high school friends um, and was just like doing sort of open calls for, you know, I just wanted to make work. So it wasn't about being paid. Like it was sort of about figuring out my artistic process, um, figuring out like how to execute a vision from like start to finish, like having a concept, um, you know, down to the wardrobe, down to the location, who you might want um, as your sitter and all that stuff. Um, so I was getting comfortable with that around that time. And I think because I was sort of networking unintentionally um, in that sense, it sort of allowed me to have like, sort of maintain an audience that wasn't based on Yale. Um, and I think that has been helpful in like my current, um, my current practice, but also like, I mean, after that period of like, you know, sort of networking in 2017, that was, when I did come back to Yale, it was very like, I felt like I was only getting Yale work. Like I did feel very much confined to the people who I knew, I knew here and the opportunities that, that they were sort of plugging me for. Like a lot, so much of the work that I've done over the last few years 
has been like, you know, word of mouth. I mean, that's how a lot of photographers work, um, but it was still only, you know, spreading to campus. Um, and so recently a Yale person actually was sort of able to get me a really, really important gig, um, like the outside of Yale that will really sort of, or that like got me out into the world, like meeting a lot of different people. Um, I mean, it's the most important gig of my life actually to the point. <laughs> um, and I mean, I can speak about it if you want, but that was like a surprising, it was very unexpected. Like I, I honestly would not have had an answer to this question, honestly, like before December of last year, like I was also wondering how I was gonna find work in the real world. Um, without my Yale connections, but my Yale connections actually solved that problem for me. <laughs> yeah, that actually leads perfectly into our last question. Sorry, I'm literally on your portfolio looking right now. These photos are amazing. My portfolio um, is so amazing. So I hate <laughs> my portfolio now. It's under construction, okay? New things are coming. <laughs> Dude, you know what I also hate is the like, the Squarespace logo, it like, you know, when you're like, no one can tell this is Squarespace and then you open it on a tab and it's like that little cube. <laughs> yeah, me on my portfolio too. Um, but yeah, so our last question was gonna be like, what direction do you see your photography taking after graduation? Um, but before that, yeah, if you wanna tell us about the gig, if like you want to or you're comfortable, that would be also cool. Yeah, cool. I mean, cause it sort of fits perfectly into like, I guess what I am at my foundation interested in, um, which is like storytelling. Like, I feel like I'm not great, or I, I'm sort of, I'm getting better at storytelling. I think I'm, I'm good at sort of positioning two ideas together um, and putting them in conversation, but I'm not as great as like building a narrative, like, you know, say whether it be a person or an event or, you know, whatever the case is. I really struggled with that um, in college. And like the feedback I've gotten, people are like, ah, I don't know if this is working, but I'll keep trying. <laughs> um, but the gig I got, so a person from, the, he graduated from the Yale Divinity School. He wasn't even from Yale College and we had never met personally. We actually met through Instagram. Um, and so he plugged me for um, a portrait session for this museum that he is the, um, the COO of. So it's called the International African-American Museum. And so it's currently under construction. It's going to be finished like in June, July of this year. And then it opens officially um, next year in the summer. And so I, I was originally um, asked to just do one portrait session. Um, it was going to be with a woman and her family in Atlanta. And it was sort of about like family history. It was about her sort of and the research that she had done um, regarding the genealogy of her family. So she had been able to trace like, I mean, find like, a line of documentation. Um, for her family, like from like the first person who came off of the slave ship. Um, and so that was like a really crazy, important work that she's been able to do. And so I was gonna take pictures of her and sort of her personal documents and um, just sort of somehow create portraits that could speak to um, these family connections that she was making um, and the work that she was doing. And somehow it turned into me taking photos for the entire exhibit um, so the photos that I, that I just did, they were for part of the museum called the Center for Family History. Um, and so, I mean, as I mentioned, it's, it's sort of foregrounding the stories like of people in the, you know, in the American South who have really just done that work, um, visited archives, like, you know, done a lot of work in conjunction with, you know, 
academic institutions or what have you to figure out who they are and who they've been. And um, like, it's just been really crazy to sort of hear the, the stories and the results that have come out of that work, but you can sort of build out like a legacy. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I was, I took a bunch of photos. I traveled to Charleston, which is where the museum is um, in January, took a bunch of portraits, met a bunch of people. Um, it was a crazy thing to be doing during COVID, but they paid for everything. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Um, and yeah, I mean, the photos will be in that, that part of the museum permanently. So that was like a crazy thing because I mean, they have, you know, changing exhibits for sure, but it was a moment of like, okay, so I have to sort of decide what I have to say as an artist, one, because they gave me full artistic license. It was honestly the craziest, it was the craziest thing. I mean, I've never done work like that. So I didn't even have work, you know, regarding family and family portraiture and history and archival work. I didn't have a portfolio for that. So it's not even something that I ever would have gone for um, had I not been connected to the opportunity. But I had to really make a lot of decisions about who I was as an artist. And I had to think like, you know, into the future, like how can I make pictures that sort of can still, you know, remain relevant years and years and years from now. Um, and I mean, how do I make work that honors the stories of these people, you know, more so than it honors who I am as an artist. Like my, my job as an artist is, you know, to sort of translate. Um, and so I, I had to make a lot of like, oh wow, like just sort of bigger decisions about who I am as an artist because of this job. Um, and it's opened up the door for a lot of other opportunities outside of, um, the Center for Family History and then outside of that museum, which has been incredible. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I don't, I don't even know what this speaks to. Like maybe just the unpredictability of being an artist, but or just like, I don't know. You just gotta remain open. I, it was a shock to me that I even said yes to doing it because I felt wildly unprepared. I felt like I had no experience, um, you know, and that would help me cater to this, but I said yes, I figured my shit out and I got myself together so that I could execute. Um, <laughs> and I did it, I did what I had to do. But yeah, it's sort of an ongoing thing. I'm actually going tomorrow to finish up the project um, to DC um, for another round of projects. So, yeah. That's incredible. I know we're both looking forward to seeing the finished product and keeping up with all of your work. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Sydney Holmes and check out her artwork on her portfolio site, sidhole.photography. You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontact.com or on our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week.